Exodus chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, before I invite uh, Ryan to come up here and speak, just going to give a quick bio uh, so that everyone is, uh, will know him more. Uh, I'm sure he will be doing an introduction as well, but this is what he has written. So I'm just uh, um, saying first person. So Ryan speaking, I'm privileged to be living in Chinatown, uh, the downtown east side, uh, in, in a neighborhood with a bunch of friends who care for each other and a really unique community I've come to love. I come from a German Mennonite family, grew up in the Fraser Valley, in Stolo, Kwantlen, and Nooksack territory, and have been living here in the unceded and traditional lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations for almost four years now, since getting married to my wife, Ali. God has used a number of different, uh, different life and work experiences to mold me thus far, including working in warehouses and pizza delivery, aircraft maintenance, and pastoral ministry. And I'm sure he will continue to refine me and grow me into the servant he created me to be until he calls me home. It's an honor to be here at LLC, and I'm happy to be with you again today. Uh, so without further ado, uh, please uh, give a warm, big welcome to uh, Ryan. Well, thank you. It's good to be back. Uh, it's been, uh, been a while since I've been here. Um, I think the last time I was at Lord's Love Church, you guys were still meeting in the basement, so um, it's been probably four or five years almost, I don't know, <laughs> it's been a while. Still some familiar faces, I recognize some of you, uh, maybe some others I would recognize if we weren't all wearing masks, um, but I see you, I see you. <laughs> uh, so yeah, thank you for, for welcoming me back, um, yeah, I'm glad Pastor Doug is able to get some time off and uh, get rushed and refreshed in his uh, short sabbatical. So hopefully he uh, comes back with a lot of vigor and uh, fresh vision from the Lord for the time ahead. Uh, I'm just going to pray again, um, ask that the Holy Spirit would guide me, and then we can dive into our text together. Thank you, Sarah, for reading it, and, and Howard the introduction. Pastor Howard, sorry. <laughs> uh, yes. So thank you, God, um, for giving us your word and for um, yeah, showing us who you are and how much you love us, how much you care for us. And uh, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. Um, use me, use your scriptures, and um, may we all come out of this with worshiping you and uh, following and obeying what you have asked us to do, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, I am talking, as, uh, as we mentioned, from uh, Exodus chapter 2 today. Now, before I get into the text itself, um, how many of you feel like the little guy, or, or like, just feel like somebody that maybe you're just kind of go through life unnoticed, or people don't really hear you, don't really listen to you. You're not really um, 
somebody that draws the attention of the room, or like if you have something to say, or, or if you've been hurt, and, and you want to speak out against this hurt, uh, and you feel like, I don't know that people are really hearing me, or listening to me, or uh, are getting, um, paying attention to what I'm trying to say. Um, that could be on an individual level. Maybe you also feel like that on a collective level. Uh, we just had the Olympics in Tokyo, and uh, you know, maybe you feel like Canada is the little guy, right, um, amongst all the nations, and we're so proud every time we win any medal, especially at the summer games. Um, or, or maybe you feel like Lord's Love Church in the middle of Vancouver is, is just one little tiny church, not that tiny, but anyway, you might feel like it is, and, um, and you feel like, well, what can we do? In the, in the midst of this big city, uh, maybe some of you have connections to Hong Kong and you feel like Hong Kong, it, even though it's a giant world city, yet in the face of China and, and the, the communist government there, um, maybe it feels like Hong Kong's being swallowed up and it no longer has a voice that it used to have. And um, so maybe in, in one way or another, you feel like you can identify as this small person, as this person who has no voice uh, that people can't hear. Um, for me, I think I can identify a bit on both levels. As was mentioned, I come from a German Mennonite family, and the Mennonites have historically been persecuted. That's why I'm in Canada. Uh, it's because we were basically persecuted all around Europe, and then finally we just abandoned the continent altogether and came out west. And um, it, yeah, it, my ancestors have faced a lot of persecution, not, not so much in the last 50, 100 years, but the, I think the effects, the lingering effects, uh, still are felt in, uh, in our people. And um, myself personally also felt like uh, growing up in school, I was bullied a bit in high school, and um, it just... Yeah, it felt like this nobody. I was a German Mennonite in a Dutch Christian Reformed high school, so I like didn't fit in, and I was really short compared to all the Dutch people, and in all these ways, like I just, I just didn't feel like I fit in. Um, on the flip side, I am a white man, and so that in this society, like I'm recognizing it, it's a mixed bag. I do get a lot of privilege. I get to speak here. I don't know if that's because I'm a white man, where I also had the privilege to go to seminary where I met Pastor Doug, and that started this relationship here. So I, I have privileges and benefits in my life, uh, thanks to my uh, ethnicity and, and my education and other things as well. So my life is a mix. Probably yours is a mix, too where you feel like the little person, and other times where you feel like you're, uh, you have lots of power and privilege and uh, just the blessings of God in your life. The nation of Israel that we're going to read a passage from, they're, they're a little bit of the same thing. So Abraham, who is the patriarch, the first um, ancestor of the Israelite people, uh, he, he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of possessions but then he lost his land because God told him to leave his land and leave his family and go to a new land. And he was still wealthy and he still had a lot, but he never had a land to call his own. He never had any particular place that he could say, this is mine and this is where my family can settle down. Um, 
And the, the Egyptians, or, um, the Israelites themselves, his descendants, they, um, Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, which at the time was the most powerful nation in the world. Uh, but then just a couple of generations later, his descendants, Joseph's descendants, became slaves to Egypt. And uh, you can read more about that in the first chapter of Exodus, how that all came to be. But at this point that we read in chapter 2, the, the Israelite people are really, really suffering. And they're really feeling like they, um, they have no voice. Who can they cry to? Who, who will help them? Nobody knows about the Israelite people. Even today, we try to find in archaeology evidence for Israel prior to King David, and it's really, really, really hard to find because uh, they were just this small group and um, with very little power, very little prestige, and, and nobody would listen to them. Nobody would rescue them out of Egypt, out of slavery. And so they, they suffered. They were, their children were being killed by the, the Egyptians. They, they were building cities. Um, and it's just really brutal conditions. Times were really, really bad and had been for hundreds of years. Also, the neighborhood where I live, the downtown east side in Vancouver here, um, it's also like that. Uh, a lot of people, it's a little bit of a mix. It's a community that um, I love living in. It's a community that a lot of people really love living in. Uh, but it also, as you've probably heard, has a lot of trouble and a lot of difficulty and a lot of people who have been really trapped in uh, systemic uh, poverty. Uh, they, I, I've heard of a couple people who are trying to get out of poverty. They're trying to work jobs, work hard, and um, they're living in the housing, which is affordable for them. But as soon as they make above a certain threshold of money, which is still pretty low, not enough to afford rent in Vancouver, um, as soon as they make above this threshold of money, and then they're no longer allowed to live in this social housing anymore. Now they have to go out and, and pay market rent, but they're not making enough yet to afford market housing. So then they're stuck. They're in this middle place where they're trying to pull out of it, and they have nowhere to live anymore. All of a, all of a sudden, they're homeless because they're making too much money, but not enough to actually live anywhere. So there's a lot of systemic uh, issues in the downtown east side. Um, there's also gentrification where things are just becoming less and less affordable. There's a, an ice cream place close to where I live, uh, or a gelato place, where it's like 12 to $15 just for a gelato. And how many people in our neighborhood who actually live there could afford that? How many people can afford $1,500 to $2,000 rent for a one-bedroom apartment in our neighborhood? Uh, not very many. So there, there's lots of, I could go on about all the different systems that are keeping people in poverty and, and just really not helping, but people don't want to leave because they love it. They find community there. I found community there, um, unlike community I found anywhere else, even in East Vancouver. Uh, the difference between living in East Van versus in the downtown East Side uh, has been night and day in terms of the community and the love and the acceptance that I've found there. On this slide, um, this is actually the building where I live um, in Chinatown. And 
A lot of people, they use actually graffiti on the walls to deliver messages. It's kind of their bulletin board or, or um, chat room, if you will. Uh, so there, there's this woman, her name's Chelsea Poorman. She's been missing since September last year, so getting close to a year ago. And um, yeah, so there's this reward, and then they put all the information so that if you see her, you can identify her, and um, including a, a VPD file number. And, and it's just people crying out for help to find their daughter. And I did hear from her, Chelsea's mother, Sheila, a few months back, she was speaking at an event. And um, yeah, it's just really heartfelt plea. Like, I know my daughter's out there somewhere. Somebody knows something, please. Somebody help. And she's crying out, just like the Israelites are crying out. She's groaning. And um, I don't want to capitalize on her story, but these, these stories are all over the neighborhood of people going missing. And, um, and you can. I haven't even mentioned much about Indigenous people in general and the loss of land and the loss of their culture and, and the residential schools that we've been hearing much more about again in this past few months with all the uncovering of the graves, um, unmarked graves in all the residential schools. So there's a lot of suffering, a lot of pain in this neighborhood. And it kind of feels a lot like I think a lot of people would identify with the Israelites in Egypt um, there. So I want to read our passage again, and then we're going to see how, how does God respond when people cry out, when people are, are longing for rescue, for salvation, to be delivered from a life of suffering and pain and poverty. Um, how does God respond and then how, how then should we respond? Because I, I believe we are made in God's image, right? So how God responds is how also we should respond. Uh, so we should do likewise. So I'm going to read it again from Exodus 2, verse 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So those four words that God heard, he saw, he remembered, and he knew. That's going to guide our time together. And those will be four ways that we also should respond with God. These are the ways that we will encounter God in our neighborhood, whether it's here. Um, I think you guys call this the South Hill or something to that effect. Um, well, you can encounter God here or in the downtown east side or wherever else you find yourself. Um, this seems to be the general pattern of how God operates when, you hear, when these people are suffering. Hears, sees, remembers, and knows. That's going to be our time. So hearing. So the discovery of these unmarked graves, uh, first in, in Kamloops back in, I think it was May, um, the first, one of the first things I thought about 
As these children's bones were hiding in the ground, and the people buried them and thought maybe they would never be discovered, they would never surface, nobody would ever find out about just how many children were killed or who died in these schools. I, I was just reminded of Cain and Abel's story back in Genesis 4 when Cain killed Abel and there was like no other humans around other than their parents. So it should be really easy for Cain to get away with it. Like who's going to find Abel's body? But then God himself, he saw what happened and he, he described, he's talking to Cain and he's describing what happened, what's happening is that Abel's blood is crying out to God from the ground. And so that, that was what I was reminded of when I'm hearing these, these children. We, we discover them in the ground, and their blood is now, years, decades later, crying out from the ground, crying out for justice, crying out to be returned home, to be properly buried, to be properly honored and remembered by their families. And um, God hears. The indigenous people have been talking, been telling us about this for decades. They've been telling us that their children were murdered, that their children were missing, that their children were gone. Chelsea Poorman is, is an adult and she's missing and, and the police delayed and delayed and delayed until it was too late to really find her, too late. And, and that's a story for so many people. Is that people are speaking, people are crying out, but they're being ignored and not heard. But God hears. And no matter how much we cover up, no matter how much we try to ignore and walk away from it, God hears. And God will find a way to bring justice to what has happened, to, bring, to restore people. I was at a conference a few years ago um, at Regent College. Um, it's called Our Stories Shape Us. It was by a number of indigenous leaders, indigenous Christian pastors and professors um, who were, were sharing how their stories shape us. And uh, so I got the opportunity to hear them, hear their stories, and hear from their own words um, what, what life has been like for them and, and, and their understanding of who God is and how God has redeemed them. And, and it's really powerful if you think of people who have been oppressed by the church, oppressed by people in God's name, and then they come to you and share how they have actually still found Jesus in the midst of that. And, and not only that, but are reaching out and sharing the gospel with others. We need to listen to people's stories. We need to hear what they're saying before it's too late. We also need to hear, listen to them and hear them so that we don't just come in and just be like, okay, it's the downtown east side, they're poor, um, so that probably means they're hungry, we're all going to go and bring a bunch of food, drop off a bunch of food, give them all food, and they're going to be happy and we're going to go home. Um, we need to hear what their actual needs are. Maybe they're not hungry. How many people do I know who have been given food when they're already full? Or how many people do I know who are Christians already, maybe even pastors in churches, and then they get evangelized on the streets just because they're in the downtown east side and it's assumed that they're not Christian. Uh, we need to learn to hear, to listen. Uh, in my work 
in the past year, um, or I've, I've worked for Servant Partners, and, and you guys have supported me in that, so thank you very much. Um, I, I shared with a couple of you in an email that actually this past week or so, um, we're actually shutting down our Vancouver site for, for a number of reasons, so the, the support will, financial support at least, will, will be ending. But, um, but yeah, so in my time though, in this past year of working for Servant Partners, I've had a lot of opportunity to do just this, to listen to people. Uh, we've had these listening campaigns where we just go out and we just hear like, so how's COVID, how has COVID been affecting you? How has uh, the racial dynamics been, been affecting you? And um, more recently, just generally about neighborhood safety, we had this idea that um, people were feeling really unsafe in the neighborhood. And then we did this listening campaign and actually as it turns out, people are feeling fine. And, and um, so we didn't end up doing anything around neighborhood safety because they're there didn't seem to be any need for it. So um, we want to listen first. And, and sometimes as a nonprofit organization, you feel like you spend a lot of resources in, in helping and preparing to help people, and then you find out they don't need help. Um, and it's, it's pretty hard to just not do what you've been preparing to do. But uh, that's, that's one thing I've learned in the last month. Um, to not be overly invested in, in my own initiatives and, and pay attention to people. Um, yeah, also, so in the last few years, Black Lives Matter uh, has been a real big force. And, and I think God has really been using social media to help people be heard. Uh, Black Lives Matter, especially, and a lot of indigenous justice issues are being brought to light and we can no longer ignore them. We can no longer hide and pretend that they're not speaking because they're all over our social media feeds. Uh, because the average person, you and I, can post things now and people can see what you post. People can hear what you post. People can hear directly from the source. Uh, I've, I've seen videos of, of people being uh, physically assaulted by the, by the police here in our neighborhood. And, and people have been saying this for years that this happens, but now with social media, now we see it on video, and it's like, oh, it's actually happening. It's good, because now we're listening. We see it on video and we don't have a choice. We're like, okay, we can't deny it anymore. It's actually been happening. And same with the, uh, George Floyd last year. Um, the whole world saw that. And um, I wish I didn't, wish I didn't have to. But we saw, we could no longer stop, ignore, and we could no longer pretend that we can't hear when people are crying out. So this is how God works. God hears, and God responds based on what he heard. He takes it to the next step. We also need to do likewise. We need to make sure we listen first before doing anything, before coming up with our plans, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. What is he doing already? We also need to listen to the people, listen to our neighbors. Second, we need to see. You might think that seeing and listening are two very, pretty much the same thing, that if you hear somebody, you see them. But sometimes we hear about stats, we hear about numbers, like, oh, there's this amount of people in the downtown east side, they are making this 
income level, and, and, and you're, hearing, you're hearing all these things from me, but you're still here. And I'm not saying everybody here has to go to the downtown east side. But the point is that there's a difference. Even for me, I was connected to the downtown east side community before living, while living in East Van. And I would come, go to the church there, I would go to Jacob's Well, which is the community there, and go to different places and, and meet people and get to know them. But I didn't live there. Now that I live there, I moved there um, this spring, and it's just a whole nother level of seeing. It's a whole nother level of, I, have to, I walk by Chelsea Poorman's image every single day. And, and I just get to know people who are, are hanging out on the sidewalks by, by our place. Or um, I go out to get groceries and I get to meet people, meet friends and, and see people and hear how they're doing that day. And I'm not only coming into the neighborhood when I'm working or, uh, or whatever. I, I'm just meeting people in the daily life. And uh, I get to see things from a whole new level. And, and that, that is the kind of seeing that God does. It's very personal, very engaged, very much in the middle of, of things. And I'm reminded of Genesis 16 and Hagar, who was Abraham and Sarah's slave woman, um, who had, it's, it's another complicated story, but basically she had had a child by Abraham, and, um, and then Sarah was jealous and was like kicking her out of the house. And as she was kicked out and just like kind of wandering in the wilderness, not knowing if she would die, because she has nowhere to go, nowhere to be, and um, God met her there, and uh, she got the honor of, of being able to name God. And in, in Genesis 16, verse 13, she says, she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, you are a God of seeing. For she said, truly here I have seen him who looks after me. So this God of seeing has something to do with looking after her, to caring for her. So God sees the Israelites and he's going to look after them and care for them. And... Um, some of you who might be parents or, um, or siblings, you know, you might be annoyed with your child, but then you see them and you just see the look on your face and you're like, fine, I'll take care of you. You know, like, like when you see somebody on a personal level and you love them, that changes how you respond. If, if we, it's so easy for me, I'm an introvert, it's easy pandemic in some ways was great. I get to stay home and, um, you know, I don't have to see anybody and that's fine. In fact, that's the, what we should have been doing, right? All staying home and not seeing anybody. It was great. But uh, that helps us to not feel like we have to care for people because when you see them, you care and you're moved. And seeing also leads to transformation. First John uh, when we see God, we become like Him. First John chapter 3 says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. See that. And what we will be 
has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Something about seeing God as he is transforms us to being like him. We are already made in God's image. When you're seeing God, the more we see God, this is why we worship together. This is why we study God's word together, to see God more clearly and become more like him because we see him. Same thing with people when we see them more clearly. We are transformed as well. We're transformed in relationship with them, transformed to care for each other and love each other. As we see God's image reflected in them, see God's image in our neighbor. I was transformed by this experience of acceptance and community in this neighborhood. Everybody's going through, not everybody, but most people are going through a rough time. Most people have made a lot of mistakes, and nobody bothers to try to hide it there. They're just like, hey, I'm broken, I'm messed up. How's it going? <laughs> you're broken and you're messed up. Great. Whatever. I don't care what you've done. You're accepted here. So a lot of people come to the downtown east side from all over Canada, knowing that they may have been rejected from their home communities, wherever that may be, and they know that when they come there, they will be accepted. There's this uh, famous poet named Bud Osborne. Um, I just came across an excerpt of one of his poems. He writes really long poems sometimes, so I'm just going to read a small excerpt of it. But uh, I came across in an article uh, a small excerpt of one of his poems, and he speaks about the difference between hearing and seeing. Hearing the rumors or the... Uh, the reputation of the downtown east side versus living there and seeing for yourself this is what he wrote. A First Nations man recently told me he had come to the downtown east side to die. He heard the propaganda that this is only a place of death, disease, and despair. And since his life had become a hopeless misery, he came here specifically to die. But he said, since living in the downtown east side, what with the people he has met and the groups he has found, he now wants very much to live. And his words go directly to the heart of what makes for real community, a new life out of apparent death. New life out of apparent death. Sounds like a work of the gospel, doesn't it? Sounds like God is at work in this community and all the reputation that it has, all the brokenness that we see that we hear about. If you open your eyes, you will see God is at work there, just as he is at work here in your neighborhood. We need to have eyes to see as he does. Third thing God does is he remembers. He remembers his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. God made a promise that he would never leave them or forsake them, that he would make the people great. He also promised them a land to call their own. He remembers. Also, Paul, when he was doing his missionary journeys in the New Testament, he had this conflict with Peter, and then they resolved it, uh, and they were 
They were worried about Paul because he used to persecute the church. And then they, they gave him instructions for when he would go out and be a missionary. Uh, Galatians 2 verse 10 says, only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. So whatever else you do in your ministry, make sure that you remember the poor. Uh, another way you could say the poor in our day is, is people who are marginalized, people who have been pushed to the outskirts of society, people who have no voice, as we talked about at the beginning, um, people who are in need of justice but have no way of getting justice. You need to remember them. Whatever else we do as a church in ministry, if we don't remember the people who need it the most, what are we doing? How are we sharing the love of God? How are we agents of God? He remembers them. If we forget them, then how are we doing God's work? We need to remember the poor. You can go all over the Bible. But God seems to have a special, special heart for the poor. Some people might say he prefers the poor in a sense that these are the people who need him the most. Jesus said, I didn't come for the healthy, but I came for the sick. Jesus puts it in another way in Luke chapter 6. Uh, the Luke chapter 6 Beatitudes, and we're all familiar probably with Matthew 5. You know, blessed are the poor in spirit. Um, Luke 6 is the version of the Beatitudes that most of us probably haven't really heard too much preached. It's a lot more blunt, if you will, a lot harder for us to hear. I'll, I'll just read a few verses of it, but I would recommend reading the whole chapter. Luke chapter 6, verse 20 says, and, he, and Jesus lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor. Not poor in spirit. In this case, it's just poor. Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. Now, just in case you're going to over-spiritualize this and be like, these are all spiritual things that Jesus is talking about. Um, well, for one, I, I don't think Jesus would make that distinction. Physical, spiritual, psychological, everything is together, you think, in Jesus' mind. Um, but just in case you're thinking it's only spiritual, Jesus continues. He says, But woe to you, you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Basically, if your life is going well now, if everything is great, be very careful because that might be all you get. If you're not focusing on being with the poor, remembering them, loving them, being around the people who are most blessed, according to the Beatitudes, woe to you. Be careful. Warning. 
That might be all you get. You may lose all of that after Judgment Day. Again, the flip side, going back to hearing and listening, we need to remember the poor. We also need to make sure that we listen to them. Don't just impose ourselves on the poor. Be like, okay, we're going to help you because the Bible says we need to help you and we've determined how best to help you. First, remember them, build relationships with them, get to know them, and um, become one with them so that we're all in this together. And just as we help each other up as family, um, just so it's not like we're, we're wealthier than you, so we're better than you, and we're going to tell you what to do, um, but have a more relationship of, of equality, of family, brothers and sisters. We are not the ones to save them. God is the one who saves them. We are just fellow vessels to love people and to make disciples so that we don't get too proud of ourselves. Finally, we are to remember. Oops. We are to know our neighbor. Know our neighbor. Knowing. I think in in the English language, knowing is often just a purely intellectual thing. So if we say, oh, I know know people, and I can start listing and describing things about them. Uh, Biblically speaking, maybe you've heard this before. Uh, Biblically speaking, knowing, especially when it comes to knowing people, It's more experiential, more relational. It's actually probably the most intimate word for love in the Bible. It's to know somebody. And I I have some verses there. Uh, I often feel like I have to actually make the case for this to show how the Bible uses the word know. So in the book of Hosea, uh, chapter 13, verse 4 and 5, God says this, But I am the Lord your God. From the, from the land of Egypt you know no God but me. And besides me there is no Savior. It was I who knew you in the wilderness, in the land of drought. So it's not like God didn't know them before. He knew about them, but he entered into a relationship, this intimate, knowing relationship with the Israelites' people in the wilderness, in the land of Egypt. That's when this relationship really started. So that's when this knowing started. Amos 3, verse 2. You only, this is God again talking to the Israelites, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. You only. God knows everything. God knows everyone. But something about the Israelites, you are the only ones that I know on this level, right? That has something to do with a loving, close, intimate relationship. And Jesus, in Matthew 7, warns about people who, who say that they are Christians, who have done, you know, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus is going to say, I never knew you. I never knew you. 
But Jesus obviously knows about them. He knows everything. Yet, you will say to some people, I never knew you. Because he wasn't in this saving relationship that Christians have with their Lord and Savior. Finally, Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine is the command to love your neighbor as yourself. Now here, he uses the word agape for sacrificial love, but it's the same thing. They're all related. They're all words talking about the same thing. We need to know our neighbor. We need to sacrificially love our neighbor as ourselves. As C.S. Lewis says, there is no safe investment. Love is inherently dangerous. To love at all is to be vulnerable. It's not safe to love your neighbor, to know your neighbor. But that's what we've been called to do. If we have a safe life, go back to what Jesus said in Luke. Woe to you if your life is safe. If people are speaking well of you, if everybody's just lavishing praise on you. So what are you committing to? As we wrap up, what are we going to commit to? God hears, sees, remembers, and knows his people when they cry out. How will you, individually, in your own personal lives, and also collectively as a church, how will we respond? I know the pandemic is still here. And I know that cases are rising again. And it's more dangerous again to, to meet with people. But if we can meet here in person, surely we can go out and meet our neighbors. Maybe not inside your homes. Maybe outside, if you have a yard, meet in your yard. Our apartment has a nice rooftop where we've been meeting with people. Uh, so that we can still be safe. Um, find a way. Meet in a park. I don't know. Get, how are you going to get to know your neighbors? How can you receive from your neighbors? Love from them? How can there be this equality relationship? So we remember God, how He is, how He works. And we also remember that he said he would be with us even to the end of the age. So it'll be scary to go outside your comfort zone. God will be with you. Your church family will be with you. We can do this together, right? We need to honestly ask ourselves, is there any reason we can't do this? For for each of us, there will be different ways, different ways that we're able to do. But I'm pretty sure we can all love our neighbor in some way. So let me pray and ask God's help. God, we thank you that you heard us when we were crying out. You saw us. You remembered us, and you made a covenant with us, Lord, that you would always be with us. You know us, and you love us in the most deepest way, beyond what we can even imagine. Thank you, Lord. So help us be transformed by seeing you more clearly.
that we may go and do likewise, that we may love and know our neighbors, listen to them, hear them, see them, that we may always remember those that you've called us 